Our scripture reading will be from two of Paul's epistles, the first, the letter to the church in Ephesus, and the second, the church in Corinth. Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Why don't we pray, and we'll get right down to work. We continue this morning in our series, One Church, One God, One Hope, as we explore themes we find in the Nicene Creed and connect them, or not connect them so much, but explore where those themes are actually anchored in God's word. So that's the work that we'll continue this morning. Let's pray and we'll get right after it. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. I pray that you would meet each person in this space this morning. For those who are weary, I pray that they would find their rest in Jesus. For those who are mourning, I pray that they would find their comfort in you, Jesus. For those who are um, proud. I pray, Father, that they would find life-giving humility in Jesus. For those who have been deeply wounded by another, I pray that they would find the beginnings of their healing and reconciliation in Jesus. Father, we need you, so we're here as your kids, raising our hands. We don't bring much to offer, very weak and inconsistent gratitude, but we come we come with incredible need, and we know that you are a good father who delights in giving and satisfying those needs in Christ. And Spirit, we pray that you would be present in power, bringing our hearts to life by faith, just as you did at the very beginning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, the map I want to show you to begin, begin with has a pin on it. That pin is anchored in the town of Green, which is in upstate New York. Has anybody been to Green? Okay, nobody not named Ransom. 
You should go to Green. Uh, I won't get caught up in the details. There's a little rod and gun club there. It's the only rod and gun club I've ever had a membership in. I didn't get that membership until last summer, I think. My father-in-law took me there. It's his club. He took me there for breakfast, and the club had some issues. So unless you were a member, you couldn't have breakfast. So some nice old guy paid like $55 or something for my membership. I, once I knew how much he was spending, I wish we'd just gotten in the car and went down to Cracker Barrel or something. But anyway, I'm probably on a federal watch list now because of my one-time membership for breakfast. Uh, that's not why the map's up there. Green is a small upstate town. Uh, the pin actually says Berean Bible Church. That's a church that's right in the heart of Green. And that church, that community is made up of farmers, uh, blue-collar workers, um, retired people, lots of grandmothers who uh, live on fixed incomes and knit way too many mittens and scarves and stockings, like those grandmothers. And uh, they're all there in green. That's what the church is, is made up of. Um, but uh, I want you to just focus for a moment on the chair that you're sit sitting in. Okay? Just enjoy the, the, the comfort that we got for you from Make Man and uh, just Concentrate on the weight that your chair is supporting for you in such a comfortable way. All right, you got that locked in? Um, the reason we have chairs to sit on is because the grandmothers in Green, New York, who live on a fixed income, bought them for us. Uh, when we were first moving into this space as a young church plant, before, we, before there were even people to sit in chairs, the people of Berean Bible Church believed that God would do good things here, and they believed so deeply that they gave from their fixed incomes, they gave above their means to ensure that as God built the church here, there would be space and capacity and comfort for people to gather, to hear the good news, and to rehearse the good news. So the question is, why, why would people who don't know you who live around the world, who have never met you and never will, who live on a fixed income, why would they give thousands of dollars to help furnish a young church plant that's not even in the same denomination they are? Um, why would they do that? Love, Jesus, all good, good answers. Uh, I want to anchor the reason here this morning and then apply it to ourselves as we explore the creed, the creed, the reason they gave so generously, and here's the big idea for the morning, right out of the creed, actually, it's not original with me, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The grandmothers at Green who live on a fixed income, the blue-collar workers who live week to week and put groceries on the table and clothes on their kids to send them to school, that same family gave above their means because they simply believed this. And what I want to submit to you this morning is the more we believe this, the more beautiful we become as a family. And the more we believe this, the more beautiful we come. Beautiful because we, as we heard in 2 Corinthians, we give ourselves first to Christ and then we give ourselves to other people. A belief that's anchored here is a beautiful, generous, self-giving, others flourishing. That's our big idea for the morning. I actually have a second and third place big idea that didn't meet with family approval. So they're not on the screen, but I'm going to give them to you. Uh, I'm going to submit to you that so much that is wrong with the church uh, today and with our own expressions of Christianity is that we place too much emphasis on me and not enough emphasis on we. And the reason the creed is a friend to us is a line like this brings us back to the collective, to the family that Jesus is building. We are so hyper-focused on ourselves, which leads me to the third big idea. You should write this gem down. It's tweetable. Uh, my daughter was enthusiastic about it, but it basically goes like this. Too much talk about us is super sus. <laughs> You're welcome. But that's the Christian experience that most of us have. It is so hyper-focused, it's all we ever talk about, ourselves. And we go to a church that we like, and we get our needs met. We, we go like it's a restaurant, or a re we, we consume. And then we walk away, and then we'll, 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 we'll leave and go somewhere else the moment we, or me, I, am not getting what I feel I, I need. And the, the creed becomes a really good friend to us because it pulls us back to the collective we and anchors our unity on Jesus. 
So we'll break it down four ways. Uh, super simple approach this morning. We're going to talk about one church. We're going to talk about why that one church is holy. If you go to the next slide, we're going to talk about what it means to be apostolic. That's a word that probably scares most of you. If you saw that on a church sign, you may not go to that church, right? Apostolic, what's that? Uh, that can't be good. And Catholic, maybe that scares you more than apostolic, but I'll just let the cat out of the bag this morning. We are a Catholic church. Uh, I, I'm not on Facebook, social media anymore, but I always get a kick out of when people who are new to Okinawa do the, the customary, hey, I'm here, I'm looking for a church, and you get the threads. I just have always enjoyed reading those threads. Uh, sometimes it hurts, sometimes it's funny, it just, it, but anyway, it's entertaining. And I'm just waiting, you have my permission now, when people ask, you know, hey, what kind of church is Pillar? We are a holy apostolic Catholic church, okay? That's who, that's, that's who we are. So let's, let's break that down. Let's begin by talking about one church. And our conversation uh, will begin in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, where Jesus, you guys can go, that should be on the screen. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, uh, don't worry, I'll go back to that later. On this rock, I will build what? My church, okay, those are going to be two very important words for us, and uh, while I was an academic waiver to get into the Marine Corps, even I know that that word right there is a singular, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to build my churches, Amen. he said, I'm going to build my church, okay, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Ephesians 4, um, 1 to 3 uh, says this in, um, actually go back a slide, I got ahead of myself, please. <clears throat> Do we have Ephesians 2 up there? No. If not, that's okay. I can read from it. There it is. Perfect. One church. Uh, that word church that Jesus used uh, that we have in the Bible is the word ecclesia. It simply means uh, to be called out, a called out collection of people, a gathering, a community. Uh, we, but we could simply say it this, a church is a growing community of people who have been called out by, by someone and been called out from something. So we know from the gospel that Jesus calls us out of death and into life. He calls us out of rebellion and into relationship. He calls us out of darkness and to light. Or the, the theme of being called out by Jesus is beautiful and extensive. We, like Lazarus, have been called out of the graves of our rebellion and the consequences of our rebellion against a holy God. And we have been called into friendship, relationship, a reconciled place with God. So what is the church? By Jesus' own word uses, we, we are a growing community of people who have been called out, but it doesn't stop with being called out. We're also, there's a, a, a twin here, we're called into something, and that's where Ephesians 2.19 comes into play, where Paul says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Household feels super formal. Uh, that would just be a synonym for family in the New Testament. And when New Testament writers talk about the church, maybe the, uh, the metaphors or the examples that they use most would be family and body, like physical body to help us think about life together. But family is the most robust example. So we're not just called out of a grave and called out of rebellion to live life on your own as a follower of Jesus. You are called out of all, you're actually called out of isolation, you're actually called out of doing life on your own. That's part of your rebellion, actually. That's part of your false sense of independence and autonomy, which is not organic to the Imago Dei in you. It's not organic to God's creative purposes for you. You don't thrive on your own. You die on your own. You don't fulfill created purposes on your own. You actually live to the opposite of those creative purposes on your own, which is kind of stunning when you think about the circles that some of us grew up in. I can think about all the, many of the churches that I grew up in and out on our sign out front, uh, what would be kind of the leading, we would put all the words that described us as a church family, and there's one that starts with a capital I that would describe my circles. Anybody want to guess what I'm going at? Independent, right? Independent, fundamental, which that's okay. We care about the fundamentals of the faith. Just don't be a fundamentalist, but that's, that's another conversation, right? Independent, uh, which is really funny because that's a word that runs so counter to the gospel, 
Uh, we're called out of independence into dependence upon Jesus and his broader family, right? So we're, what is the church? Very simply, it is a community of persons who have been called out and called in. We're in a family now. The church is a family and you're called into that family. That's what Jesus is building. That's what he said he would build. Now, he said he would build one church. He's going to build one of them. Uh, we see this in Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, which says this. There is one body, right? So that would be a synonym for church, right? We've got family. We have body. There's one of us, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, if you've grown up in Western Christianity and you're encountered with uh, that principle right out of Paul's writings in Ephesians, you'd be like, one, man, I, I don't know. It feels like Jesus is busy building like a thousand and one churches. I don't know about one. Uh, let's just play a little game. Let's start on this side. What, growing up, what denominations do we have represented in this, this side of the room? General Association of Regular Baptist Churches. Let's, great, fantastic. There's one. Anybody else? Catholic, Anglican, Pentecostal, Baptist. Man, we're, we're going to hit them all in the first section. Keep going. This is fun. Yes. Mormon. That would be, uh, I'm really glad you mentioned that. I'll bring that one up later. So I'm really glad that you brought, brought that one up. That's good. And we, we, we do have Mormon friends that hang out with us week to week uh, in this space. So I'll, I'll address that one a little later on, like I did last week. Let's keep going. That was good. Keep going. Lutheran. Wesleyan, Presbyterian. Presbyterian, keep your hands down. <laughs> All right, let's shift to the middle. Anybody that's not been represented, we don't want you to left out. Church of Christ. We do get a lot of Church of Christ people in Okinawa. I have a good friend here, Dan, who pastors a local Church of Christ uh, family. Yeah. Evangelical. Evangelical. I love my E-freers. All right, E-freers. Non-denom is its own denomination. Yes. <laughs> The no creed but Christ crew, which is not non-denomination, but there, there's no such thing as no creed but Christ, that's your creed, right? There's no such thing as non-denom, that's your denom, okay? What else? Charismatic. Southern Baptist, SBC. Don't drink, but we'll smoke outside when we're all done. Anybody else? New Testament, yeah, there's one of those down the road too. One more? Christian reform. There we go. We got, okay, so we have a great variety. Uh, that's great. That's really fantastic. So sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around this idea that Jesus is building one church. It goes beyond denomination. Um, I bring that up as a point of example. Let me just briefly say, denominations can have a place. They're not wrong. In fact, denominations can help us live as one holy apostolic Catholic church, I would just submit to you that while the theological positions of denominations matter and have ramifications, what our text will bear out this morning is that your posture matters just as much, if not more than your theological position. And you can be right in all your theological positions, but if your posture is not reflective of Jesus, own posture, then you probably are not participating in the building that he is doing in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. But let's move on from denominations. Our churches splinter out for other reasons. Uh, we gather according to kind for a variety of reasons. What might some of those reasons be? Language, which would be a legitimate one, and then I would say probably within cult, we will break down along a million different lines. Well, we're more of a thinking church. We're more of a feeling church. We're a merciful church. We're an evangelistic church. We're a studying church. We're an expressive church. We're a, we're a reflective church. We're somber. We're, we're, we're reverent. We're serious. We're conservative. We're liberal. We homeschool. We public school. We we are officers, we are enlisted, we're uh, blue collar, white collar. We break down along so many different lines. Which is interesting, because when you look at Ephesians chapter four, verse nine, Jesus through Paul would say this, I want you to be eager to maintain the unity, the oneness of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
And what I want to submit to you this morning is that for most of us, our cultural experience, you can put that back up, I just want to show something. Rather than being maintaining the unity of the spirit, unity of the spirit, just very briefly, would unity of the spirit would always produce a centeredness on Jesus. The spirit, the spirit works overtime to draw our attention to Jesus, the person of Christ, and his work and his teaching. That's what the unity of the spirit is. For most of us in our Christian experiences, we have replaced unity of the spirit, or so I'm going to call it unity around Christ. We have replaced that with uniformity around choice. And it's a fake, it's a fake unity and it distorts the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. Let's think about it this way. If when Jesus called us all out, all of us were different, diverse, different shapes, different colors, and he calls us in and he, he builds, let's just use this picture, in his people who were all broken to pieces in rebellion, he builds these beautiful stained glass windows. He brings all of these uh, shards and broken pieces of glass who have different shapes and different colors, and he builds a window through which the light of the gospel shines through all of the shapes and all of the colors to build a beautiful picture of the gospel. And that was his design for a called out, called in people. And then somewhere along the line, we get the bright idea that, you know, maybe we could give better pictures of the gospel if we sorted these stained glass windows back out. This whole community thing with different colors and shapes and, and just all the variety doesn't, it's too hard and it doesn't work well and we don't agree. And so we replace unity of the spirit or unity around Christ with uniformity around choice and we start dismantling the window. And so now we have churches, if we keep going with the window analogy, we have red churches and white churches and blue churches and yellow churches, and then we have churches of all shapes and all sizes. And what happens is every time we remove one of those from the, from the window, does the light of the gospel still shine through? Sure. But the picture becomes more obscured and less beautiful with every step of dismantling that we take. And Jesus says, family, I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. But rather than unity in Christ, we prioritize uniformity of choice. And just to push it a little bit further, our favorite phrase is take the word choice out. Um, and we like to use the word conviction. Well, it's personal conviction. Because if we use the word conviction, it carries this weight of this individual conversation that I've had with God that concludes with me having a close-handed view of something that obviously we don't share, and it makes me a little more right in my expression of Christianity. And so now we gather churches that have uniformity of choice because it's more right. Okay, maybe, but it's a whole lot less beautiful. And it distorts the beautiful picture of the gospel meant to shine through a window that is full of diverse shapes and colors and sizes. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So the reality is this bond of peace for almost all of us has been blown to pieces, right? Though we look at the, the landscape of churches and we're like, well, there's 2000 years of church history. What do, we, what do we do, John? Right, great, maintain the unity of the bond. What do we do? Well, let's be humble about it. None of us are big enough to go back and rewrite. You can't change anything that's happened in the past. So the question then becomes, in a landscape littered with segmented, disunified, broken uh, expressions, how would Jesus have us live right now so that we can work towards maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? How would he have us live? And that brings us to the word holy. We're not just one church. We need a view of the church that begins with this word holy. How many of you have watched the movie Braveheart? All right, my favorite scene in that movie is when uh, the gang of fellas happens along, uh, they happen along, they find this guy named Stephen, who's from Ireland, and he says, I'm the most wanted man on my island. And the one big guy goes, your island? And he says, yeah. I can't, I'm not even gonna try the accents. <laughs> yeah, Ireland, it's mine. 
And he starts this kind of crazy laugh. And so the big guy looks back at him and he says, you're a madman. And he says something to the, along the lines of, yeah, I am. And I've come to the right place, right? Ireland, it's my island. That's laughable, right? That Ireland could be called my island by any man. And pretty much every Irish man would do it, but it's still laughable and crazy. Guys, the word holy means that anytime we refer to the church as mine and we mean it, you're as crazy as the Irish man who calls Ireland his. That's a crazy idea. Back to uh, Matthew 16, 18, what did Jesus say? He didn't just say he'd build the church. What did he say? He said, Ireland, it's my island. Only Jesus can say it's mine and we don't laugh, right? Like this is Jesus' church that he's building. Jesus is building his church. Okay, so this belongs to Jesus and every other legitimate expression, every other church that is apostolic and Catholic on this island belongs to Jesus. So this has serious implications for us. And actually, let me, let me read this because here are the implications and let's unpack it a little bit. Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 3. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your what? What word is that? Wait, what's the church? The called out ones, the called in ones. We are the called ones. We have a calling. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Uh, what, what's wor worthy would have the sense that we get it, that Jesus said, this is mine. Verse two, what does it look like then? to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. I want you to walk worthy of the calling with all humility. You don't need to live with all humility if you gather in a church where people have gathered according to kind instead of according to Christ, because you all think the same way and express the same way and vote the same way and school the same way and work the same way. So you don't need all humility there. That's why this is foreign to a lot of us. The churches we choose to attend require little to no humility because we fit right in and all of, our, all of our preconceived ideas are just affirmed week in and week out. And we share community with people who, interestingly enough, share all the same preferences that we do. So it doesn't require any humility. If you are going to commit yourself to participating in the life of a church where people are different from one another, it will not, where people have gathered around Christ instead of around kind. You will need all the humility that the Spirit is cultivating in your heart. And notice that word's in there. It doesn't just say with humility. What does it say? You're gonna need all the humility that you can bring to bear. Look, that should reframe the way we look for church. We look for comfort and fit. Jesus is actually calling you to settle into a church where daily you will have to look yourself in the mirror and look into God's word and look to him in prayer and say, Jesus, if you want me to persevere with these people, you are going to have to make me a humble person. Otherwise, this will not work. That's the kind of church Jesus wants you to be in. All humility and all gentleness. One of my favorite lines is a line that we love to use around here. Um, it's attributed to a bunch of different people. So um, we'll just say the quote is fair game. But he says, in essentials unity, the apostolic faith, we, that is where we close our hand and we agree on these things. He says in non-essentials or secondary things, what's he say? Liberty. There's freedom. There's freedom. And in all things, what? Grace, charity, love gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Just think about that word for a moment. Who wants to be in a relationship where you have to bear with them? You're like, that's not healthy. Well, hey fam, I got news for you. You're called out, you're called in, and the kind of family that Jesus intends to call you into is the kind of family where you're gonna have to, as an act of the will and as an act of love, as an act of your followership of Jesus, bear with people patiently. But for anybody who's read any church history, for anybody who's grown up in any American town where there's First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Fourth Baptist, First Pres, Second Pres, Third Pres, First 
second third of anything, you know that we as Christians do not have a track record of bearing with one another. Our track record is breaking up with one another. And sometimes churches can be planted for healthy reasons. Sometimes churches can split to multiply and we celebrate that. But if we're honest, all too often, and again, see, this isn't about denominations because this stuff happens within denominational life. What we're saying is that we have a track record as followers of Jesus of, of approaching church the exact opposite of what's described here. And then rather than bearing with people, our track record is breaking up with people. We have not treated Jesus' church like it's holy. We have not treated Jesus' church like it's his. We treat the church like it's ours. And we treat the church like it's mine. It's one of the reasons I love Okinawa. I love it here. Uh, I love it here. This is a small island and there are not a lot of churches. So anywhere else you get stationed in any city, there's probably 10 to 20 to 30, depending on the size city you're in, of every denomination. So you can go find a church the way that we've all been taught culturally, which again, I'll just submit to you, is actually opposite the way Jesus would have us pursue a church. Like complete opposite. We're not even talking about the same thing anymore. Uh, but you can find the church of your own liking where you don't have to be humble, you don't have to be patient, you don't have to bear with one another, you're all just one big happy family because everything's the same. It's built on kind, whether it's culture, um, color, choice, doesn't matter, right? It's built on kind, not Christ. Um, but here in Okinawa, that's not the case. If, the, if a denomination's represented, and they're not all represented here, there's like one of everything. And so what happens is almost every church on the island is more eclectic than it would be back in the States. Did you hear what happened as we went around the room? And I absolutely love it because that is Jesus' design. He doesn't want his church to be ghettoized out and subdivided. He doesn't want the stained glass sorted according to color and shape. He wants one family centered on Christ not choice, through which the light of the gospel shines and blows up an incredibly beautiful picture of the gospel. That's his desire. And look what happens on this island, and I absolutely love it. Look, I'm very self-aware as a church planning pastor that for many of you, pillar is a second choice. And for some of you, pillar's a third choice. And for some of you, if we were in the States, you'd be like, I'd never come here, John. I've had you say that to my face. And every time you do, an angel loses its... W no, that's a, that's a movie. That's a movie. And every time you do, my heart beats just a little more enthusiastically. I love it. Because I feel like if we would embrace what Jesus calls us to uh, for his vision of the family, that what we just read right there, we would all be going to churches that would be like our 10th choice but we go because it's in our neighborhood. We go because it's the closest church to where we live, work, and play. We don't go for any other choice. We go because it's a holy, apostolic, Catholic church. It's in our neighborhood. It's the last place that we would go if we had a choice, but it's Jesus' family, and it's imperfect, and we're in. We're gonna bear with those people for the fame of Jesus and the good of people. So I'm glad that Pillar's your fourth choice, and I hope while you're here, we see lots more people who are like, man, fifth, sixth, seventh. I'd rather be a lot of other places, but this is where I'm at, right? Uh, growing up, I hated going to friends' houses whose parents had purchased like a fix-me-up house, and they're like never finishing it, and they just always live in this raw, unfinished, I'm like, you guys are savages. And I lived in a trailer park with skirting around my house. I'm like, you're the savage here. Uh, guys, we approach church that way. I'm like, you're all a bunch of savages. Look at this unfinished family. Is the work ever going to be done around here? Like, put some drywall up. Spackle this guy out. It's horrible. I just got to say, look, if you're going to live in that kind of a church family, you got to realize, guys, that Christianity is one big unfinished house until Jesus comes back. Stop looking for the finished house. And if you find it, it's fake. It does not exist. Not until Jesus comes back. I'm not going to finish this sermon until Jesus comes back if we don't get moving. <laughs> Uh, we're not even on Catholic or apostolic yet. We're going to do that in 10 minutes. I do want to show you one picture real quick because this is something that through your giving, you guys have funded. Uh, throughout last year, in this room right here, 
uh, we held a monthly gathering. The gathering was open to all churches who are part of the one church, Catholic and Apostolic. We did not get, we're not, we're not even paying attention to denominational name, hung up on, uh, uh, hung up's the wrong word, theological differences matter and have a place in the conversation, but not as dividing points in Jesus' family. And that table was full of almost every single pastor on this island at a, a, a number of gatherings. We gathered to care for the souls of those uh, servants. We would have guest speakers, really good meals. And I just want you to know that that was something that we as a church family, uh, through your giving, we funded to care for the pastors of the island. So when I participate in the life of this family, I get excited of what Jesus is going to do. You know, your denomination was not around when Jesus started building the church. Did you know that when he comes back, did you know there will not be denominational expression in the, in, in heaven, in the new, did you know this? So this is a temporary division that we have going on. Temporary, and it's why I love our family, which could stand to grow in more diversity, I know, but, but, but it's here in seed form. And around that table, I thought to myself, man, it really is possible. Like before Jesus comes back, like we really could do this thing if we were committed to being the church that was described there. All right, we got, in eight minutes, we're gonna talk about being apostolic and Catholic, ready? A apostolic, let's do this. Here, here's all I have to say about apostolic. To be an apostolic church means the faith that we have, the expression that we have is inherited, not invented, it's received, not reimagined, okay? Christianity is a, is a body of faith that was deposited, that was given from Jesus through the apostles into the word to his people that stands for all time. It does not change generation to generation. It's not invented, reinvented, reimagined, none of those things. It is inherited and received. That's what it means to be apostolic. Uh, I'll explain a little bit more. We could break it down this way. Next slide. To be apostolic means that we have received co the content of our faith. It, it means that we have received the commission that belongs to our faith. In other words, we have the what or the who and the who. We know what the faith is. That's not up for right, debate. We don't have an open hand on that. We know who the who is. Uh, we have the why, that's our commission, and we have a culture, like a certain way that Jesus expects his family to live. That's all part of being apostolic. Let me show you the apostolic thread briefly that runs through the New Testament. Same starting point, Matthew 16, 18 says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and here's where that, that piece comes in for our apostolic conversation, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's a surprise, surprise, Christians are divided over what this verse means, okay? Um, we don't have to split based on that disagreement, but we do. Uh, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Some Christians believe that what Jesus is saying, there's a play on words with Peter's name and, and rock, that Peter himself is the apostle upon whom Jesus will build the church. If you believe that, you're not wrong. There were other apostles upon whom Jesus would build his church, but you're not wrong if that's your uh, interpretation of that. But probably the majority interpretation that'd be present in this room would look back a couple of verses where Jesus may, or uh, Peter makes a very clear confession where he sees who Jesus is as the Son of God, and he confesses him as Christ right there. And, and Jesus would say, all right, on that rock, on the confession that I'm Jesus, we're going to build this church, okay? That, that's, I like that one, but I like both of them because they're both true. And let me, let me show you, okay? Uh, here's Ephesians 2 again, but a, a different verse that we didn't read the other time. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the what? All right, there you go. Built on the foundation of the apostles. Jesus said it himself through Paul. The, 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 imagine a house and the foundation are the shoulders of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. One more, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came to him and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He's talking to the apostles. Baptize them, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Acts 2, one more, says this. So here's how the early church is described. They devoted themselves to what? All right, received, not reinvented, inherited, not imagined. Jesus' teachings are handed down to us through the apostles. They are unchanging, codified for us in the word. This is really healthy, and so this is where I'm glad you said uh, Mormon 
the Mormon expression because this would be one example, Jehovah's Witnesses and a few others. This is where the creed becomes our friends and helps us define who the apostles were. They're all dead and gone. There have not been additional apostles since. Maybe you feel like you have an apostolic gifting. Let's not even get into that right now. Um, well, I will real quick because we're too dismissive of that. Like in the church planning world, somebody might say you're apostolic if God has gifted you to go someplace where a church doesn't exist and you start something new from scratch. Like you're pioneering, you're a pioneering missionary. Like, great, fine. Let's, that's, that's fine. Apostolic. The apostles had a certain authority that was given to them by Christ. They had seen the resurrected Christ. They'd received revelation from him. There was a set generation of apostles that died, and there have not been any more since. So then, any faith group, uh, i.e. my Mormon friends, my Jehovah's Witness friends, that would claim that, a me- that somebody, a founding person in their faith, has apostolic authority with new revelation. For those of us who are part of the one holy Catholic apostolic faith, we have the grounding, the secure anchoring uh, through the creed, through the scriptures to be like, yeah, that's just not a thing. That's not a thing. That's not valid. That's, that's just not a thing. So to be apostolic means that our faith has been handed down to us directly from Jesus through that first generation of apostles. It shapes the life of our family together. It is unchanging. It's contextualized, but it's not changed uh, generation to generation. Okay, so we are one church. We are holy, meaning we're Jesus' church. We should change the way we talk about churches we don't like, because when you badmouth another church on island... You're bad-mouthing Jesus' unfinished house. Right, it's his church. No matter how jacked up it is. And we know it's jacked up. Read some of these letters. Super jacked up. Still Jesus' church. Still is called out, called in people. All right, we can do this. Catholic. If you need a synonym for Catholic, Catholic simply means connected. That's what it means. I know it's used as a... Uh, in, the, in the name of the Roman Catholic Church as sort of a denominational expression. That's fine. Denominations steal words all, or use words all the time. It doesn't mean that that word belongs exclusively to that particular expression. So Catholic as a word does not belong to Catholics in a way that it can't belong to us too. Like Catholic as a New Testament idea means to be connected. And what do I mean by that? It means that we as a local expression of a church, which is valid, just because sometimes people are like, ah, there's one church, it's global, you can't break it down. No, 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 no. The New Testament is comprised of letters that were written to locally expressed, locally organized churches, right? So that's, that's all good. Uh, Catholic means that we are connected uh, universally to all churches in all places at all times. Anyone who's part of the one holy Catholic apostolic church, we're connected as family. And what I want to show you in closing is this. That is less about knowing something and more about feeling something and living a certain kind of way. Like the old ladies who knit scarves in green who paid for the chairs that you're sitting in. But let's close with this reading. I want to read and make comment as I go. This is what, if you're wondering what Catholic looks like, by New Testament definition, this is what Catholic looks like. 2 Corinthians 8. It'll be on the screen for you. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So Catholicity, if you will, is a grace or gift of God, verse 1, that has been given among the churches. It's shared, right? Uh, Macedonia, so he's talking about churches in the region of Macedonia. Some of you have been there. That's northern Greece. The churches he's talking about, Thessalonica, Philippi, and ironically enough, Berea, just like my people in uh, green, Berean, I don't, maybe I didn't give you the name, Berean Baptist or Bible Church. For in, now check this out, verse 2. For in a, this is what Catholic living looks like in the church. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you see that math? Now you've heard of Common Core, right? I know you love Common Core. Okay, this is Catholic Core right here. Look at the math. Look at this. We have severe test of affliction, they were being oppressed, plus their joy in Christ, plus their extreme poverty, they had no money. One plus one plus one should have equaled zero, but it had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Giving, for they gave, look at this, they gave according to their means. Have we ever used that phrase before? Remember when I said there's too much emphasis on me and not enough emphasis on we? Let me show you how. 
We know in our Christian culture there's too much emphasis on me because all we talk about is living according to our means. Living. That's me-centered. But we don't live according to our means. We, we all know we live above our means. That's too much emphasis on me. When the gospel shifts your focus to too much, too appropriate emphasis on we, you stop living above your means and you start giving above your means. That's your Catholic core math right there. They did it of their own accord. They were begging us earnestly of the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this was not as we expected, but they gave themselves. Here you go. Here's, here's what Catholic living looks like. A Catholic Christian gives themselves first to Jesus and then by the will of God to us. You give yourself to other Christians and churches wherever you happen to live. You're connected in a meaningful way. Accordingly, we urge Titus as, as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Family, I just, look, as your pastor, you have a track record of excelling in this area and it's beautiful. Uh, let me just give you a few examples. Go ahead and skip. Uh, I got a couple pictures that I'll hit briefly. Guys, this is Gospel Life Church. This is the church plant that John Simberger and their team, John and Melissa and their team planted on Christmas Day. It's beautiful. It's growing. It's down in Ginawan. Their focus is Okinawans, particularly uh, college students in that town, particularly single moms in that town, tons of single working moms in that town. This is their missional focus. Guys, listen, when you give here at Pillar as a part of our family, I want you to know that your gift direct, we pay John's full salary for that church plant. You pay it. You pay the, the salary of a church you don't attend. You, you pay the salary of a pastor for a church you don't attend. That is Catholic living and it's beautiful. It's life-giving to the people of Ginawan. Here's another example. This is a picture of uh, people in our GTO cohort, Gospel to Okinawa, our church planting initiative. Guys, listen, this is how ridiculously generous you were. Uh, sometime last year, the, the account for GTO, which is a sub-account of ours, had exceeded $200,000. And gradually, as we bought the building next door, GTO's money began to dwarf money that we held as pillar church, even though the money's originated here. You guys gave so much and so generously to GTO that in our budget, we had to be like, yo, guys, go spend some money. We're going to stop giving for one year. Please spend some stuff, plant some churches, love some pastors in Okinawa, and we'll resume our giving next year. That is beautiful Catholic living. Uh, here's another picture. This is our McTurious, one of our McTee missional communities down in Naha, serving in the life of a church um, in that city to which we are not denominationally connected, serving them, loving them, giving generously of their time. Here's another one, Huey Hart down the road. Um, I was going to read their letter to you this morning in which they express gratitude, but we don't have time. And uh, through Hideto's leadership, we have partnered with them and we are giving generously, not just to Christians and other churches, but to people who are not yet part of God's one holy Catholic apostolic church, but one day they will be. I believe that deeply, and the pathway will be the generosity that is extended from this family. It's beautiful. One more real quick. This, if you remember, this is Nadia and her family. Some of you are so new, you're not tracking this, but earlier this year, Nadia was a refugee from war-torn Ukraine, and she did not have the resources available to begin a new life here with her family. And we presented this, and you guys, overwhelmingly thousands of dollars to give through a church on island to a woman that we have never met and will never share life with. She did come to one of our family feasts. Um, but you guys did this. You gave through your gospel-shaped generosity. And it's beautiful. And so I wanted to read 2 Corinthians 8 to you and to show those things to you because... Well, first of all, we don't believe in guilting or trafficking in guilt and shame around here, but there's no guilt or shame to traffic with. Just pure commendation. This is who you are as a church family, and it is stunningly beautiful. It's stunningly beautiful. And so with Paul's encouragement of them, just, just keep going. Just keep going in that direction. It's mind-blowingly beautiful, and it gives credit to Jesus, and it's good for the flourishing of others. All right, we have to finish. 
Paul finishes that section by saying, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the apostolic faith right there. That's expressed through a Catholic culture of generosity. There are some of you in this morning who have not known the Jesus yet, who made himself poor so that you could be made rich. And Grant and the team's gonna come now, and we're gonna sing together actually a song with these lyrics in them right, right here singing of this Jesus. He is hope for the hopeless, rest for the weary, help for the hurting, mending the broken, bearing the burdens, all that you're needing, he is. Sorry, Heather. We talked about the church as the called in people. And some of you may be wondering, I don't know if Jesus is calling me. Well, I can just tell you right now, Jesus is calling you through the sound of his voice and through the apostolic witness and through his word. And I want to pray, and as I pray, we'll begin to sing. And my prayer is that for those of you who have not yet been made rich through Jesus' willful poverty on your pl in your place, that this morning you would see a glimpse of this Jesus who became poor so that you could be made well and that you would respond by faith. Let's stand, we'll sing together as I pray. Father, give us eyes to see Jesus. I pray for everyone in this room who is unsure if you have called them. Jesus, may your voice be the clearest voice. Drown every other voice away right now. And Father, for those who are hurting, heavy-hearted, broken, May they see the Jesus who set everything aside to pursue us in kindness and mercy so that through his wounds we would be made whole. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.